In this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, we talk about how to participate constructively online. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kenny Embry. We'll talk about how to be better Christians and people in the digital age. Let's go. It was a Thursday, a day like most others. He lived just outside of one of the big cities, or so he was told. He had always imagined what the streets looked like, how his neighbors had decorated their houses, even what colors he was wearing. He was losing the memory of what his mother looked like and had already forgotten the facial features of his father. He had lost his sight about 15 years ago, and his memory was beginning to fade. He wasn't sure he could tell the difference between red and green anymore. He knew what they were once, but now they just seemed like words he heard. He was grateful he could hear and touch better now. He could tell expensive fabric from cheap fabric, but most people do that. However, he could tell you what kind of wool was used and how skilled the weaver was who made it. But still, he knew he was different. He had lost his job, lost many friends, and needed help so he could ask other people for money. Some were generous, most weren't. And one day, while he was resting by the only street leading into town, he began hearing a lot more people passing by. It was exciting. Maybe he would get enough to eat today. So he started asking if anyone could spare something, anything, so he could get some lunch. Some gave. And then he recognized the shuffle of a good friend. So what's bringing everybody into town today? He asked. He felt his friend press a few coins in his hand. Oh, some guy from up north. He's got a lot of people who are following him. I just hope he doesn't stir up any trouble. <laughs> Me too. What's his name? Jesus, I think. I'm pretty sure he's from Nazareth. Jesus? I've heard of him. I've, I've, I've heard he can heal. Isn't that right? Maybe. Who knows? I guess it depends on who you talk to. Oh, I, I think that's him right there. Jesus? Jesus, is that you? Jesus, from the King of David, right? Jesus, Jesus, can you help me? I, I really need help, please. I, I, I could use a break. I just want to eat. Can, can you really heal? I mean, that's what I've heard. Can you heal people? I just want to get my job back. I, I just want to see my friends. Jesus, Jesus, can you help me, please? Okay, I've filled in a few details, but the story I'm telling is coming from Luke 18 and how a blind man eventually got his sight back from Jesus. Jesus made a difference in his life. Jesus communicated his message, made a relationship with this blind man, and not only restored his sight, but gave him faith. We've been talking about digital literacy for a while now. And part of what I'm arguing is the mechanisms this blind man would have used to learn about Jesus today are available to us in online tools. Some of you are skeptical about that, but I think you do see how online conversations educate, inform, and persuade a lot of people online. Our blind friend outside of Jericho today could have learned about Jesus through friends in email, heard about the miracles on Twitter had a debate on who Jesus really was on Facebook. How do I know? Well, that's precisely what's happening today. 
Until now, we've been discussing stuff that existed before the internet. Controlling your attention, double-checking what's true, managing your identity and reputation, and building context is all stuff you should have been doing long before Facebook and social media. Digital tools make us look at these things differently, but these are simply skills which need more attention online. For example, when I say you should do something like ask the journalistic questions to build context, this should be a skill set you've been using for a while. But participating online is different. Most people don't create stuff online, but just read, watch, or listen. The internet is a consumer's dream because when you can watch practically every movie that's ever been made, watch any television show that's been produced, or listen to almost any music that's ever been recorded, you've got the never-ending buffet of stuff to take in. But it's not limited to products of Hollywood. Now, Matthew McConaughey has to compete with my old high school friends and their families for my attention. It's funny to watch my wife sometimes do the endless scroll on Instagram. I'll ask her what she's reading, and she'll say, oh, I'm just looking at Instagram. She doesn't really need to say more than that. She's in consumer mode, waiting for Instagram, Facebook, or any other service to find something which will spark her interest enough to swipe up, tap, scroll left or right, click read more, or something else that says, I want to take a deeper dive and consume more of this stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. If someone is making this stuff, they're hoping someone will use it. And the parts of digital literacy we've been talking about so far have largely been about being a more critical consumer. But creating stuff for people to consume is different. If you decide you want to participate online, you need to think clearly about a few key ideas to do it effectively. I've said this before, but the internet has largely erased time and distance. Before the internet, what people fought for was publicity. They wanted to get the attention of as many people as possible, and that often meant a studio that cost tens of thousands of dollars, electronic equipment that cost thousands of dollars, and a marketing strategy, which would often take a team six months or more to effectively create and execute. However, in an age where Amazon, Google, Facebook, and several other online services follow your every move, what we fight for now is privacy. It's a trade I'm happy to make, though. The power of online tools is how quickly your voice can be heard in places you've never been. In episodes 32 and 33, I spoke to four guys I know about how their congregations responded to coronavirus. One was in Texas, one in Indiana, one in Kentucky, and one just a few miles from my house. None of us were in the same place. After I had the conversation, I edited it, and then published the two episodes. So far, those episodes have been heard in almost every state and five foreign countries. And I never left my house. In fact, it was a conversation I had in my walk-in closet. Christians, or really anybody who wants to have an intentional impact on those around them, need to learn how to participate effectively. I'd like to suggest if you're wanting to use these online tools well, you need to focus your efforts on answering a few fundamental questions. What do you want to accomplish for whom? How do you want to do that? And finally, what do you want your audience to do as a result? 
Going back to our blind beggar in Luke 18, after he asked for help, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do? It's a simple question, but one I don't know a lot of people ask when they think about making something online. Jesus' audience was a man who had lost his sight. He knew who he was talking to. He knew his audience's need. Jesus also knew what he could provide to his audience. When you decide to be a part of the online conversation, it makes your life much easier if you figure out both who you're talking to and what you can offer them. I work with students who get hung up on the audience question a lot. For example, I had a student who wanted to tell her story about moving from Honduras to Florida, and I asked her who she was talking to. Well, she said, I could be talking to anyone. No, I said, you're not talking to anyone. Do you think you're talking to people in the Ukraine? Well, no, Dr. Embry. Do you think you're talking to people who are in their 90s? Probably not. Do you think you're talking to people who don't understand English? Obviously not, Dr. Embry. Well, then you can't be talking to anyone. And you're likely not talking to the vast majority of people. So think for a second about who you are talking to and write for them. Eventually, she figured out she was talking to people who have similar immigration stories in their early 20s. Did more than just that audience show up? Well, I know there was at least one 50-year-old guy who was proud to listen. Figuring out an ideal audience is helpful. I have said on multiple occasions, when I think of my audience, I often think about my 17-year-old son, Jake. The beauty of writing essays like these with Jake in mind is I can answer questions quickly. What language should I use? What metaphors make sense? What concepts are likely foreign? When should I spend more time explaining? And when can I just assume the audience understands what I'm saying? Because I'm talking to Jake, I don't need to think a long time about how to fashion this message. But I've also figured out a huge audience aren't people like Jake, but people in their 20s and 30s trying to grow up spiritually or make a case for digital discipleship. How do I know this? Because they've reached out directly to me. That's an invaluable feedback loop. And I intend to do more of that. The other part of this question has to do with what you bring to the table. You'll notice I don't do Greek word studies or talk about the geography of Jericho. I generally don't take a deep dive on a specific book. It's not because I'm not interested, but I recognize that's not something I'm good at. My training and passion are how people communicate and grow, and how to use technology to become better Christians. And when I don't have an answer, I know how to ask people who know more stuff than I do. I mean, I've been an idiot for decades. It has never bothered me to ask somebody their name again, ask for directions, or ask how to use that thing everybody else is embarrassed to say they don't understand. In fact, I love talking to people who are smarter or better at something than I am. The thing which embarrasses most people is something I just love. So I'm happy to be the guy who admits he doesn't know how to do something and asks the simple questions. When you listen to my stuff, you kind of expect this material. I'm going to be talking about practical Christianity and digital discipleship. That's my thing. So what's your thing? And what audience are you going to share it with? Again, you are not an expert on everything. So please don't try. 
Your audience doesn't want you to have all the answers. Even worse, your audience will find it difficult to forgive you when you pretend like you know something you don't and then get caught. In a weird way, most of us would prefer you admit when you don't know something and how you're struggling to understand it. We definitely admire strength, but we almost always relate to struggle. And don't get caught in the trap of thinking you've got a general topic for the general audience. Simply put, you're not talking to everybody. The more specific you can be both in your topic and in your audience, the clearer and more successful it is likely to be. That's why responding to one person on Facebook or Instagram is so effective. When you communicate care and compassion to a real person about a specific situation in a few words on a reply, it truly means something. Psychologist Carl Rogers once said, what is most personal is most universal. You know why I talk about my wife and children, my parents, my friends, my pets? Because I know you relate. Because I know you've had similar struggles. Look, if you don't understand the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, how to fit dinosaurs into world history, how to explain Jesus was both man and God simultaneously, please just say so. It makes you relatable. But how can you help us become better? Think about where we struggle and then give us compassion, answers, or just help us commiserate. When you can be known as the guy who understands and communicates ancient Hebrew in an understandable and interesting way, or that you love people wholly and completely, your audience will notice. Second, if you've decided you want to communicate and with whom, how do you want to spread it? In the first century, Jesus used spokesmen to travel and talk to both individuals and give speeches. They were a motley bunch with no education, no important relationships, but an important message. The more he divided them to talk to the Jews, the more Christianity multiplied. Today's tools require less expense and effort to have more reach. I have a podcast, and I'm very biased in this direction. I'll tell you why in a bit, but I understand most people won't have a podcast. You are much more likely to participate on Instagram or Facebook. Some of you may have a blog. A few of you may have a YouTube channel. Even fewer will write books. Every medium you choose has rules and limitations as well as advantages and disadvantages. If you're interested in participating in Facebook or Instagram, you're trying to reach individuals or groups of people based on relationships and an algorithm. My buddy Mark McCrary has used YouTube and Facebook really well, inspired by a great guy named Wyatt Taylor to help reach people online. People find their stuff through personal referrals, by targeted Facebook ads, and linking their stuff on their website to their stuff on Facebook. Some find them by doing a search, which is partially where the algorithm kicks in. And some will find them because a friend or a friend of a friend also likes what they're doing, and Facebook had picked up on that mutual interest and thrown them Mark's way. I've said many times, I think they're doing good stuff. My cousin Craig Embry is likewise smart in how they plan and create content. Again, most of you won't do what Mark, Craig, or I do. 
but you need to think about what you can do and how you can do it. There are a few of you who don't create content, but instead share content you like. Every time I put out a new episode, I am thrilled to see Deanna share it on Facebook. So far as I know, she doesn't have a book, blog, podcast, or website. She simply shares. I always know if Diana is willing to share what I'm doing, I'm probably doing something right. But she's not the only one. Shannon Schaefer, Barbara McWayne, Jeff O'Rear, Wilson Adams, and many others share good stuff to help me think about Christianity better. Part of participating is just be sharing. We all remember, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. We don't read much about Andrew other than that. Sharing was what he did, and it became really important. And sharing online is both simple and powerful. In my opinion, podcasting is one of the most intimate platforms because of its limitations. You've never heard of a viral podcast because podcasts generally spread by word of mouth, not by algorithm. If you're listening to me now, it's because you went looking for something. You probably aren't here by accident. That means we probably have a stronger relationship than, say, that YouTube influencer you also like. You also are more likely to stick with me at least most of the way through a 45-minute episode, which I still think is a little long. Part of that is because you can take me in the car, on the way to Home Depot, while you're taking a walk, or filling a little empty time. If you want to speed me up, you can listen to me two times faster and make a 40-minute podcast half that. And podcasting doesn't live just one place. If I had a YouTube channel, my entire existence would be at the mercy of Google's judgment. If I only had a Facebook presence, when they decide to change the algorithm, I could be in real danger. But in podcasting, I don't have to answer to Google, Facebook, Amazon, or anyone else. Because of how podcasts are organized, they aren't controlled by one organization. I really like that. So now you know who you want to help, what you want to help them with, and how you want to have that conversation. Let me go back to Luke 18 and the blind beggar. What do you want your audience to do? You might think this is where I'm going to talk about giving to my Patreon or buy my book or something like that. And I am not against any of those things. Look, if you like what somebody produces for you, if they have helped you make your life better in some way, I think the only way to assure that they can keep making that thing is to find a way to support it. Give them money. Share their program with others. Support their advertisers. Give them a note of support. Leave them a review which encourages them to keep going. I think all of that is important. But I'm not really talking about any of that. What do you want your audience to do that helps them get better? The blind beggar in Luke 18 asked Jesus for his sight back. And that's what Jesus gave him. Restoring his sight created faith in the beggar. The physical healing had a spiritual effect. If you aren't asking your audience to do something specific, how do you think they'll improve? I worked for a few years at a car dealership as the kid who would get stuff for the service department, and I got to know a lot of car salesmen in the process. The good car salesmen always had the same thing in common. They always ask people to buy the car. 
they went through the benefits. They showed people how it would make their lives better. They gave the assurance the car wouldn't break down with some of the warranties we offered. But the good ones always asked, do you want to buy this car? Sometimes they would rephrase it by saying, what would it take to get you in this car? Or would you like this in blue or red? But the good ones always asked for a commitment and action. If you truly want to help people become better through your participation, you need to ask them to take the next step. Have you ever listened to a sermon and asked yourself the question at the end, so what am I supposed to do with that? That's an important question. If you can't figure out the answer, there's a problem with the message. Jesus asked the blind man what he wanted. The blind man asked and then received, which gave him faith. Jesus made his life better. Again, I know most of you are not going to start a podcast, become a YouTube influencer, start a Facebook group, or something that is targeting a larger audience. I understand. But you can make a big difference with one person. Jesus listened to one man's request, gave him what he could, and made his life better. You might not be able to heal blindness. But you can make someone else's life better by becoming a participant and not just a spectator. As for the good thing I've been thinking about, I've recently been running through the people who I've met through the podcast and have become friends. Hal Hammonds, Chris Emerson, Chris Kramer, Keith Stonehart, and a bunch of other excellent people have truly inspired me to be better. I think about the reading group I have with Edwin Crozier, Peter Murphy, and Josh Greel. All of these are direct results of me picking up a microphone and talking about Christianity. I'm not trying to name drop. I just want you to understand the blessings are real. They have names. They have all helped me become better. Next week, I plan to release a second conversation I had with Jeremy Dutt back in May. He talks about losing two sons and what he's learned in tragedy. Jeremy is truly an impressive guy, and I am so grateful he was willing to share what he's learned. I'll ask you again, if you've gotten any value out of this podcast, do me a favor and share it with your friends. So until next time, let's be good and do good.